0: Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy.
1: This morning's scripture comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. The people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and through which he showed himself to be holy. The word of God for the people of God.
0: Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and what a beautiful day. After a week of so much rain that we have had, it is beautiful to see that mysterious orb in the sky known as the sun. But I thank you for choosing to join us for this time of worship to be with us Together today. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh God in your grace and mercy. We come today because you call us. We come because it's a part of who we are. We come because it's a part of our character. And as we continue to seek to follow the path that you have set before us. Help us stay true. Stay true to who we are. Stay true in our faithfulness and our trusting. Stay true to you. Now in these moments that we share together, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit might speak. Transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today. As individuals, and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Oftentimes, we'll hear people speak of an individual's character. The character is the way that we describe someone. We talk about those things that identify who someone is, those traits, those specific things that make them stand out. Just this past week, Jennifer and I had an opportunity to fly on Wednesday to Amherst, Ohio. Well, we flew into Cleveland and drove to Amherst in the middle of nowhere, it seems. Jennifer's aunt, Mitt, passed away last Sunday morning, and I was asked to be able to help be a part of that service of remembrance for her aunt. And so on Thursday, as the family gathered together in that funeral home chapel, I was able to speak to the character that defined who Aunt Mitt was, Her hospitality and the way that she welcomed and loved any and all. That's who she was. That was a part of the defining characteristics of who Mitt Hand was. So we celebrated that and identified that. Character, the definition of character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. And when we look at the etymology of that word character, it goes back to the carax, which was a sharp-pointed instrument that was used to make a mark, sometimes upon skin to mark an individual, sometimes upon stone to mark as property, sometimes upon wood. It would make these marks that would define whose that item belonged to. Soldiers would receive a mark identifying which army they would be a part of. Property would be marked by these markings. The character, it was identifying the who it was. And when I think of character in the way that we live it out and those marks, I think about if you walk across a grass field, if you walk across it enough times following the exact same path, what happens? The grass dies and it begins to be rutted out makes it easier, actually, to follow the path. As we were in Ohio for a few days this week, we had a chance to go hiking and walking. We saw certain paths that we walked along, but then you could even see certain paths through the woods that the deer would take. You could see those paths. And it would be easy to stay on the path because it had been marked through repeated patterns of walking across that. For me, I believe that we ourselves have character. It's those identifying patterns in our lives, those things that we live out day after day. And today, we're going to take a moment to look at the character of Moses. Now, all of us have character, some of you are characters. We all are characters. But Moses today, let's, let's think real quick about the character of Moses as we see through the scriptures. When you think about Moses' character, for me, it's really quite simple. God said it. Moses did it. God said it. Moses did it. Let, let's look at that for just a moment. And we remember how Moses was out in the wilderness tending to the flock. And he sees the burning bush up on the mountain and he turns aside to go see what this is all about. And as he approaches it, the voice of God comes forth and says, Moses, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. So what does Moses do? He takes off his sandals. God said it. Moses did it. God, as he begins to give Moses these instructions of what God is sending him to do, and Moses is trying to argue with God about, I don't want to do this. I'm not equipped to do it. I'm not capable to do it. God asked him, God's going to give him a sign. He says, what's that in your hand? Moses says, the staff. And God said, lay it down upon the ground. And so Moses, he laid it down. God said it, Moses did it. And then you know what happened? That staff turned into a what? A snake, or as Debbie says, no legs. Turns into the serpent. God said it, Moses did it, and boom, something happened. But then the most amazing thing in the scriptures, I find, God says to Moses, now pick it back up. Friends, I am not one to handle a snake. You can rest assured about that today. But God said it, so Moses reaches down, he picks it up, and it becomes a staff again. God said it, Moses did it, and boom. Then God says, take your hand and place it inside of your cloak. So God said it, Moses did it, and boom! He takes his hand and when he brings it out, it's covered, it's like white, like snow, leprous. So once again, God says, now take your hand and place it back in your cloak. God said it, Moses did it, and boom! Once again, the hand is transformed back its whole once again. God said it, Moses did it, and boom! Something happens. Over and over again, God says, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so God said it, Moses did it, and boom. Well, it didn't happen immediately. (laughs) But 10 different times, Moses went to Pharaoh. God said it, Moses did it, and boom. God did miraculous things, ultimately to the point that God set his people free, allowing Moses, uh, Moses sending them forth over and over again. We see these patterns where God said it, Moses did it, and boom, something happened. But when we get to Numbers chapter 20, something different happens. We see a little bit of a change, but to understand fully in context of Numbers chapter 20, I want to go back several chapters so that we really do get a good understanding of what takes place when we get to Numbers chapter 20. I'm going to go back just a few verses or chapters and... I always want to invite you whenever we are preaching on a Sunday, if you're unfamiliar with that passage or other passages that we refer to, go back and read it for yourself. Read it on your own because it's amazing the way the word of God speaks to us. And so I invite you to go back and read it. But if you go back to Numbers chapter 13, just a few chapters before where we are today, you'll see there that they send spies into the promised lands. And the spies cross over the Jordan River. They go and they scout out the land because this is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land. This is the land God has been telling them that he is leading them to. And the spies go into the promised land and they see produce that is ginormous. They see stuff that is magnificent. This is truly an incredible land. The problem is that the land is inhabited by people that are like giants compared to them. So they come back and they give a report that there's no way we can do this. There's no way the people will devastate us. They will consume us. It is far too great. Now we know Joshua and Caleb give an alternative report and they say surely if God is with us nothing can stop us but they are overruled by all the others. And so we get into Numbers chapter 14, and the people are really, they're beginning to rebel. They're rebelling out of fear. They, they don't understand what God is going to do. They, all they know is they see things the way they see it, and it's much greater than what they could ever do. And so in fear, they rebel. And so in Numbers 15... God begins to give additional instructions for them so that they may understand what life is truly going to be like when they are faithful and obedient. But we get to Numbers chapter 16. We've got a group of three people that are not having any of it. They begin to once again try to incite the people against Moses and Aaron. And so the warning goes out, make sure you're not anywhere near those folks or their family, or any of their belongings. And what happens? (coughs) God opens up the ground and it consumes them and everything they belong to, or everything they have. You know, sometimes we kind of wish God would work that way today, isn't it? Aren't there times we wouldn't mind the ground opening up and consuming certain things or certain people around us? I mean, we all probably have that one person in mind. Moses had taken this petition to God. God had sent the word. God said it, Moses did it, and things happened. The ground swallowed them up. So in Numbers chapter 17, we have this little moment where God is wanting to demonstrate that he really is with Moses and Aaron. The people might have been questioning it. The people might have been wondering. But God is going to show them truly that God's blessing is with Moses and Aaron. And so God says to take, from each tribe, take a staff. Take a staff and, in fact, inscribe, inscribe the name of the individual who owns that staff. And all the staffs that are representing each tribe of the tribe of Israel will be placed inside the, ark, inside the tabernacle right before the Ark of the Covenant. And so Moses and Aaron give this instruction and they take Aaron's staff and it's placed there before the Ark of the Covenant. And when they return to retrieve the staffs, There, every other staff looked identical to when it was first placed there, except for Aaron's staff. Go back and read it for yourself in number 17. Aaron's staff, it has buds that are coming upon it, it has blossoms that have come upon this piece of dead wood. Not only that, it even has fully ripe almonds that are coming forth from it. I mean, that's nuts, folks. This is to imply how great God's blessings truly are with Aaron and Moses. That they, others, the others hold a dead piece of wood. (coughs) But Moses and Aaron hold power of the living God. And God is doing this. And God says, in fact, in God's instructions to Moses and Aaron, he says he is doing this so that it will put a stop to all the complaints that they continue to make against you. Do you think that did it? you think that put a stop to all the complaining? No, no. So that's number 17. Numbers 18, God begins to lay out, really, some of the responsibilities of the priest, for, for the Levite priest, that when they enter into the promised land, they will not receive an inheritance because they themselves are the inheritance of God. They belong to God and God is theirs. They themselves will receive blessings, a tithe that would be given to support them. They would not receive the inheritance. They give all these instructions about the priest. Once again, setting up the understanding of this priestly tribe that is set apart for something different. And then we get into Numbers 19. And in Numbers 19, it's a fascinating passage that describes the sacrifice of the red heifer. This is to be able to explain to the people that when you sin, or when you become unclean, there is a process be made clean, to be made whole once again. And so the instructions in Numbers 19 are that it lays out that you would take an unblemished red heifer. They describe how it is to be sacrificed, to be burnt. And then how, once it has been sacrificed and burnt, that the ashes would be taken up and mixed with water. And that water would then be used as an anointing, a washing. For when somebody has become unclean. And in fact the scripture tells some of the ways that they might be made unclean. It says in Numbers 19 verse 11. Those who touch the dead body of any human being shall be unclean for seven days. And it describes what is to happen in those seven days. On the third day they are to wash with this water of the red heifer. Sacrifice. And then on the seventh day they are to once again be washed. To be purified with the priest. And then they would be made clean. You know, in the scriptures, when somebody is made unclean, you know what happens, right? They, they have to be separated from the society. They have to be separated from the camp. I mean, we can understand this, right? I mean, we just have come through the COVID pandemic. We're still in it. And if you've been exposed, you have to do what? Isolate. You have to be removed from everyone else so it doesn't spread. And so we have this instruction that is given If you touch a dead body, in fact, if you read through 19, it goes on even more. Not just touching a dead body, touching the tent, touching their belongings, touching the grave. Of those that have died, you would be made unclean. And that means if you touch the dead body, if you touch their belongings, if you help prepare the body for burial, if you stepped or touched a grave, you were made unclean for a period of seven days. On the third day, you would have to be washed with the water of the red heifer sacrifice. And on the seventh day, once again washed. And then you could be brought back into the community. And then we get to Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, as Pastor Sarah read that scripture... It identifies where they are. But you pick up very quickly. It says that there, Miriam died and was buried. Hmm. Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses. Miriam, the, many times the one that is right there alongside them. The one offering counsel. The one that offering comfort in their times of frustration. Miriam, their beloved sister, died we know about Miriam because when they crossed the Red Sea Miriam's song the song of Miriam is shared for all the song of jubilation Miriam has died and you know when we experience death of a loved one in our families what happens People surround them. We don't let folks be alone, right? We come alongside. I mean, we experienced that this week in Ohio. We had so much food from the community that was brought. We were having to take some of the food from the house of our family, of the cousins and, and Uncle Rod, and take it to the VRBO that we were staying in because it was so much food. People were surrounding this family, offering comfort and hope. In fact, the scriptures even say that when someone dies, that those that are grieving are not to be left alone. But the scripture says that Miriam died and was buried. Once again, Moses' sister, and Aaron's sister. This comes right on the heels of receiving this word from Numbers 19. I can't help but think this was intentional to be put here. Moses' sister dies. And knowing what I feel like I know about Moses, I can see Moses wanting to hold his sister's hand one more time wanting to embrace the body of his beloved sister, knowing that that would make him unclean. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I can't help but think that there's a reason that it says this right here that Miriam died and was buried. But I can't help but think that Moses and Aaron very likely were right there with her, taking care of her possessions taking care of her belongings, taking care of her tent, making them unclean. And so in the time that those who are grieving are supposed to be surrounded by the community of faith, by surrounded by family, by being surrounded by those who are beloved, they have to (coughs) be removed from the community. They would have had to have been separated. So on the third day, they would have been washed with the water of the red heifer sacrifice. On the seventh day, they would have been washed once again. And they come back into the community. And they come back to a community of open arms. Moses, I'm so sorry for your loss, right? That's that's not quite what the scripture says. In fact, we don't have to read into anything there. The scripture says they come back and the people immediately begin complaining. Why did you bring us out here just to die? There's nothing out here. There's no figs to eat, which for me wouldn't be that much of a problem. I don't care for figs, but they did. Why did you bring us out here? There's nothing to eat. Now Our livestock is going to die. There's not even anything to drink. I can only imagine. I mean, you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And even though it's maybe been seven days, we don't know exactly how long this period of time following her death to this point goes, but I can tell you this, grief doesn't end after seven days. It continues. We hold on to it for a long, long time. So in the midst of them enduring their grief, in the midst of all of that, the people are crying out once again. Moses and Aaron, the scripture says, they go into the tabernacle and they fall down. Face down before the Lord. You ever do that? You ever just feel the need to fall down before God? God, what are you doing? I don't understand. I can only imagine the questions, the fear, the frustrations. They were overwhelmed and they fall down before the Lord. And God, I can just picture God speaking in such a loving, compassionate voice because God knows the reality of the hurt that they have endured. The death of Miriam. And now this questioning once again. God says, you know what? Take your staff. Raise it up. And speak to the rock. And I will bring forth water for all of the people. So Moses and Aaron leave the the tabernacle. I always loved that line. I couldn't help but still snicker as Sarah read it. Moses addresses the people, listen, you rebels. (laughs) I can just picture him having a little twist in the way that he said it. Listen, you rebels. Shall I bring forth, shall we bring forth water from this rock for you? And he takes the staff. God told him to speak and he would bring forth water. But that's not what he had experienced before, right? The first time we just talked about that passage of scripture last week. The first time God said, Take the staff, the staff that you had used to cross the Red Sea, take the staff and to strike the rock, and water would be brought forth. But Moses, this time, he's told just to speak. But Moses takes that staff, and I can only imagine the anger, the frustration, everything that has been built up within him. And he takes that staff and he strikes it, probably a little more violently than what I'm doing. Not just once, but twice. And water begins to come forth. You know, he didn't quite do what God had told him to do. It used to be God said it, Moses did it, and something happened. This time it's a little bit different. This time God said it, Moses didn't do it, and still something happened. But the end did not justify the means. For God speaks to Moses and Aaron, because you have not trusted me, Because you have not trusted me to do this new thing, you're forbidden from entering into the promised land. You know, the end still resulted. We still had water coming forth for the people and for their animals, for the livestock. The water still came forth, but the end did not justify the means. We live in a world that many times we try to justify the means, we try to justify that the end does justify the means. I mean, we do it all the time. I have seen people that have lied on their resume to get a job that they feel that they are truly qualified for, but they feel that they won't get it if it doesn't have certain things. Does the end justify the means? We've seen coaches that have said, as they applied for certain jobs, that did not have the degrees that they said that they had, but they felt that they were qualified. But because they lied, the end did not justify the means. I mean, you know more than one time probably people have bolstered who they are on a first date because they're trying to get that second date and so they might make out how much money they might make or how powerful or influential they are but the end does not justify the means we see it in sports with corked bats or a spitball or even a scuffed ball athletes taking steroids but the end does not Justify the means. They're getting out of character. They get out of path, off the path. Underreporting on our taxes, certain things. Maybe I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> the end does not justify the means. We take shortcuts, but the end does not justify the means. Now think about how there have been times. That people have used the word of God to achieve a means. And they have taken the word of God and twisted it in such a way just so that they could achieve a certain end. I mean, this book has been used to justify slavery. This book has been used to help hold people in bondage. I'm sorry, but I do not believe that that's the end that God seeks. The Bible has been used to keep women silent in the church, as we've seen in the news once again this week. But the end, they are seeking an end of keeping women silent in the church. But friends, if you don't believe that women don't have a voice in the church, then you clearly have not met Pastor Sarah or Pastor Corey. Amen? For they certainly have a calling that has been put upon them, an anointing of God, and they are truly those that speak prophetic words into our lives and demonstrate to us what the love of God, and we would not know that had God not set them, called them to be his representatives. But people continue to take God's word to achieve an end that they seek, not an end of God. God brought forth water, from the rock, but it's because of God's grace, grace, gracefulness, it's because of God's graciousness. It's caused God's faithfulness. Even when Moses fell off the path, even when Moses fell out of character, we do that. We sometimes fall out of character. We go against the character that has been ingrained within us. It's easy to do. Several years ago, Jennifer and I wanted to meet with a financial planner because we knew that we had student debt that we wanted to pay off and I don't know if you're aware of this, but law school and then divinity school are both expensive. And so we incurred that (laughs) debt. We wanted to pay off that debt before our children went to college and had that debt to help incur. So we met with a financial planner because we wanted to be able to to pay off our student debt, prepare for our children to go to college, and then ultimately prepare for retirement before the age of 80. And so we hope. Uh, And so we met with this financial planner. We brought all everything that we had. We brought all our statements, we brought all our bills, we brought everything that we knew that we had, our assets, and we laid it all before the financial planner and the planner worked through everything and set up another appointment and we went to meet and the planner said he brought out all these graphs and these representations of everything pie charts He said, you know what? I have figured out that we're going to be able to meet all the goals that you have. We're going to be able to pay off your student debt. We're going to be able to pay off your children's college, get it ready so that they're going to be able to go off. We're going to be able to have it so that you can retire before the age of 95. And we're going to, we hope still sooner, but we're going to be able to reach all of these goals. There's just one thing that we've got to do. See, this line item called charitable contributions, (laughs) if we could take that, and apply that to paying off this debt, and then apply that to this, and then applying it to this, then we'll be able to reach all of your goals. (laughs) That sounded nice, but that would be against our character. That would be against who we were. For to us, that was not a charitable contribution. To us, that was a tithe. To us, to us, that tithe was a representation of our response to what God has already provided. To us, that tithe was a representation of us demonstrating the same generosity that God had demonstrated unto us. To us, that tithe represented a way of being able to provide for children such as our own, to be able to hear about what it means to follow Jesus Christ from someone other than their parents. To us, that tithe represented a place that for all people, for the lost, the least, and the last, To be able to find that they too are beloved. That tithe we saw as a resource that was going to be able to help change lives. That was not a means that we were going to utilize to achieve an end. We were going to stay true to our character and I have never once regretted it. Friends, God is calling on us just as he called on Moses. God can redeem even when we fall short, even when we fall off the path. God can redeem it. But I think God is calling us to hold true, to stay the course. So I've got two things today that I'm really trying to say. Number one, stay in character. Stay in who God has called you to be. Stay in that path. Continue to trust the means that God has laid before you. Stay true. The second thing, maybe you've fallen off the path. Maybe you've fallen off the path so much that you've created a whole other path that is apart from the way that God has called you. Come back. Come back. Repent. Turn back. Be brought back into the path that God has laid before you. Come back. God can redeem, as we just sang a few moments ago. God can redeem when we come back to him. So today, test our character. How are we identified? May we be identified for those that always stay true to what God has called us to. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for the many ways that you have redeemed my brokenness. I thank you for the way that you are always at work, offering us hope. Today, may you give us that encouragement to continue to stay true to you. To stay true in the ways that you have called us to. That we would be faithful in the way that we serve you. But God, may we also, for those that might have fallen off the path, maybe even created a new path apart from your will, God, help us to see that there's a way back. That you are a God that would let nothing separate us from your love. So there is a way back. So may we repent, turn back to you, and walk in the path that you set before us. God, we pray this today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.